Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. Coming today with a solo podcast, thanks to a lot of great questions from all of you who were listening and followed me on Twitter and gave me over 50 questions to answer today, which is great. Um, a lot of interesting stuff, covered a bunch of topics. I kind of broke it up into uh, sections. There were a whole bunch of questions on a few topics and then a few on a variety. Uh, so I kind of lumped them together into different groups. So we'll just go around through them here and uh, have a little fun with it. I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, I'll start off with a few from my friends, some of which were funny. Uh, from Curtis Harris, how will the Timberwolves disappoint your win predictions for them this season? Uh, I actually don't think that Minnesota will do that this season. Um, last year, I kind of famously said that the Wolves were going to win 50 games. They obviously did not come close. They lost 50 games again, missed the playoffs again. Uh, so I was very loudly wrong about them this year. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a problem. They should be one of the four or five best teams in the Western Conference. Um, I guess they could somehow fall short of that. Maybe there'll be injury. Maybe there'll be injuries, or maybe something else will happen. But I think with Jimmy Butler there, with Tom Thibodeau there, adding Todd Gibson, adding Jeff Teague, even though they lost Ricky Rubio, uh, you know, having a, a core of Teague, Butler. Uh, Andrew Wiggins, Taj Gibson, and Carl Anthony Towns. That should be a team that's good enough to um, to be one of the four or five best teams in the Western Conference and finally break this kind of incredible streak of a Minnesota Timberwolves team not making the playoffs unless Kevin Garnett is on the roster um, in their 30-plus years in the league. Um, I guess, yeah, right around 30 years in the league. They've only made the playoffs with Kevin Garnett on the team, which is kind of an incredible uh, statistic and, and, and just really shows the other level of dysfunction that franchise has seen for most of its existence. So, um, you know, I, I certainly don't think that's going to be a problem this year, and I'd be very surprised if Timberwolves are not, you know, up in that range. So I guess, to answer your question, Curtis, I guess if the Timberwolves somehow fall short of that, uh, I will have egg on my face again. But I, I, I don't think I'll be – last year I was out on a limb saying they were going to win 50 and be really good. I have a feeling that there are going to be a lot more people on the bandwagon this year than last uh, from my buddy Eric Kareen with The Athletic in Toronto. Uh, when is it safe for me to take a vacation? I'm pretty sure you can take a vacation now, Eric. Uh, I believe Masai Ujiri is in Africa with uh, the rest of uh, most of the NBA's personnel uh, for the NBA in Africa game uh, Saturday in Johannesburg in South Africa. Um, so I, I don't think you'll have to worry about anything for a while with the wraps. Uh, it's been an interesting summer for Toronto. Uh, Kyle Lowry signed for a little bit less than I expected. Same for same with Serge Ibaka. I think those are both pretty solid contracts for them. Uh, but giving up a first-round pick to get off of Damari Carroll's money was not great. Giving up uh, Corey Joseph to sign C.J. Miles was kind of an interesting move. Not sure if that is one that makes them a lot better uh, in the aggregate. Um, I, just a lot of a lot of moves all over the place. I wasn't quite sure about. Um, and and I, I think Toronto could take. A pretty sizable step back this season. Um, obviously, in the Eastern Conference, where there's only a few teams trying to win, you know, I, I don't think they can fall that far. Um, but I, I do kind of wonder if if the window has closed on them really being a team that's got a chance to make some noise in the Eastern Conference. Uh, from James Hollis, uh, with positionless ball, almost a thing in Boston. How do you, how much would you pay Isaiah Thomas if you're Danny Ainge, or would you invest the money elsewhere? I think this is going to be a really fascinating season for Boston. Uh, with Gordon Hayward in the in the fold now with the Celtics, 
they have, you know, the guy that they, I think they believe they can really start to build around over the next few years. Um, and it will be interesting to see how Isaiah handles having another star on the team who needs the ball in his hands all the time. Um, you know, Isaiah has really thrived in Boston and has done, I think, a pretty remarkable job of maximizing uh, his role in that offense. And the Celtics, led by Coach Brad Stevens, have done a terrific job of maximizing Isaiah's skill set and really letting him just be their, the hub of their entire offense. Uh, you've seen the last couple of years, though, that that has a ceiling on it. And, you know, it, it will be interesting to me if you bring in another star, if you can make that balance work and still have Isaiah be the hugely effective player that he was the last couple of years. I mean, his defense is, you know, pretty terrible, as, as, as everybody knows. And when you have a guy who's the fulcrum of your entire offense, it mitigates some of those defensive issues. But if his offensive role decreases even somewhat, his defense isn't getting any better. Um, and that, that makes him a less valuable player. So that, that's going to be a really fascinating thing for me to see. Uh, I said on a podcast, on the True Who podcast the other day, I guess I should call it now the TBA podcast. Uh, I said on, on that pod that uh, I think that you could see Isaiah fall into a similar situation that uh, Kyle Lowry did this summer, uh, next summer when he's a free agent. And that if you look around, there just aren't going to be a lot of prime destinations for him to go to. And so he could end up, you know, not getting the Brinks truck kind of offer that he expects, just like Kyle Lauer, I think, thought he was getting a five-year max a year ago. And now this summer had to settle, you know, settle in quotes for three years and a hundred million dollars, um, which is about, which is nothing to sneeze at, but it's also about a hundred million dollars less than he expected he was going to get. Um, I think you could see Isaiah fall into a similar situation where uh, if you just look around the league, there's not going to be a ton of options for him to go just get a max offer. And so, you know, you could look at a situation where he kind of has to go to Boston, back to Boston, um, you know, again, has to in quotes uh, for a similar kind of, um, you know, very big deal, but not the kind of max deal that he thought he was going to get. Um, also from James, how far does OKC have to get next year to have a shot at convincing Paul George to say? Western Conference Finals, tough game six with our six game series with the Warriors in any round or something else. I don't know if Paul George is going to look at this season and say, I didn't get to a certain point with the Thunder, so now I'm out. I mean, to me, that, that situation is going to be very simple. Either he and Russell Westbrook are going to decide that they like playing together and they're just going to stay there for at least the next couple of years, maybe longer, and really partner up in Oklahoma City, or they're going to decide to leave. And and I, I don't I don't really see a scenario where uh, one of them stays personally um, without the other. I, I think it's I think you know by getting them both on the same timeline, you know it opens up Russell to be able to walk out the door if Paul doesn't want to stay. Um, it gives Paul a legitimate reason to stay if Russell wants him to, because um, that that's a, a one-two punch that's you know not quite unrivaled in the NBA, but there's only a couple teams with that kind of firepower. Um, so I, I think that it, that's going to come down to, you know, yes, they're going to need to have some success. And I think they will be a top four team in the Western conference, top four or five team again, probably fighting with Minnesota and San Antonio for in, in Houston and that two to five range. Um, but, I, but I think that, you know, if the Thunder have a great year and, and those guys like playing there and that's a, a first class organization, guys have always respected the way they treat people. Um, you know, Kevin Durant has always spoken highly of them as has anybody else who's ever played there. Uh, and, and you could see why they, you know, Sam Presti, from him on down, you know, Billy Dunham is a good coach. 
they have a good uh, organization there. They treat their players right. Guys like playing there. Um, you know, I, I could see I could see Paul, who's enjoyed his time in Indiana, especially when they were good. Um, I, I could see him feeling comfortable there and deciding to stick around. So it will be fascinating to see what happens there. Uh, my guess is that they both leave. It's just my hunch. But I, I think anything's possible. And certainly, if they do make it to the Western Conference Finals and are competitive with Golden State, it's certainly not going to hurt uh, their chances of trying to keep him beyond this season. Um, and from Sean Hyken from The Athletic, is it possible that the Pacers won't be as bad as people think? I don't think they're in the same league as the Bulls and Hawks. I think that's a question that has a couple different answers. Uh, do I think they're quite as bad as the Bulls and Hawks are going to be? No, I think those could be the two worst teams in the NBA this season. Um, the Hawks, I think, are almost definitely going to be the worst team in the NBA. They just look like they're going to be awful. And the, the Bulls aren't any better, So, or certainly aren't much better. So uh, do I think any of this quite in that class? No. Do I think they're going to be pretty terrible? Yes. Uh, I don't really see a scenario where they make the playoffs. Uh, losing Paul George uh, is a, just a giant drop. You're, you're going to take a drop off there for basically just to, from losing him. Uh, and, and getting back Victor Oladipo, I don't really think that does a lot to, to reverse that trend. Uh, Demonis Sabonis is a decent player. Um, I, I liked him coming out of the draft. I think he's a decent fit next to Miles Turner. Um, who I like a lot, uh, but they're going to be a young team. Uh, I, I just, I, I just think they're going to struggle a lot. And, and if they're maybe they're, they're not that bad, but I still think they're a team that doesn't make the playoffs even in the Eastern Conference and is a uh, you know somewhere around 30 wins next season. It could be even lower than that. Uh, as you might expect, given my background, I got a lot of questions about the Knicks and Nets, so I'm going to run through a few of them here. Um, a bunch of them were along the lines of uh, which team is going to be better. Uh, the Nets or the Knicks. I actually think the Nets have a chance to be better next season. Um, I, I think they've got a decent mix of players. Their bigs are not very good. Power forward is, in particular is a huge hole. I think they're probably going to try to start Rondé House Jefferson to power forward. They could also um, start Trevor Booker there again, but that that's a pretty rough situation. You know, Timo Mozgov at center, they think he can still play. Um, you know, other people I know think he's dead money. Uh, I, I am more on the side of him probably being done as opposed to still being able to play. But, you know, with Jeremy Lin and with D'Angelo Russell, you know, he'll have some pick-and-roll guys that could potentially kind of revitalize him a little bit. Um, and But the Nets do have a lot of wings. They have a lot of guards that are good. And, and I think that they can at least cobble together, you know, 25 or 30 wins and uh, maybe a little tick higher than that, maybe maybe push for the eight seed, you know, as Jeremy Lin recently said. I mean, the eight seed is not going to exactly be – you know, fly in this year, probably in the Eastern Conference. So maybe they could stick around in the playoff race for a while. But the, the other thing you have to remember there, too, is the Nets don't have their first round pick. This is last year of the uh, the trade with the Boston Celtics. So you can finally put that behind you if you're a Nets fan. Um, but the Knicks are going to have their pick. And if they're bad, there's no reason for them not to try to be as bad as possible. So I, I would guess that uh, that's going to allow the Nets to finish with a better record than the Knicks this season. Um, I think that uh, if you had to pick one of those teams to try to make the playoffs, which I also got um, a lot, uh, I think the Nets, again, are probably more likely. I think the Knicks are going to be a pretty dysfunctional mess. Um, you still have the whole Carmelo Anthony situation hanging over the franchise, which I don't see getting rectified anytime soon. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, you have Chris S. Porzingis' situation still not 100% clear, though I, with Phil Jackson out of the picture, it's hard to see anything with him being there for a long time now. Um you know, so I, I think that things could go off the rails really quick. They don't have a, a, a very good situation at point guard. Frank Nilakina, I think, could be a really good player down the road, but he's going to be a rookie, and rookie point guards are usually not good. 
Um, so that's going to be rough. Uh, so they have a lot of holes. I, th- I think they're probably going to struggle quite a bit. And at, towards the end of the season, if they're out of the playoffs, they're going to be trying to tank for a pick. So um, for the highest pick possible. So I think that if you're going to pick one of those teams to bet on to be better this year, I would pick the Nets. I still don't think either of those teams are going to have much of a shot to make the playoffs, though, um, which is another question I got a lot about both of them. Uh, you know, is there any way the Knicks walk into the season with any sort of hope outside of Chris S. Porzingis? Not really. I mean, I, I think, obviously, I'm a huge Porzingis fan. I've been a backer of his since basically the day the Knicks drafted him. I think he's going to be a terrific player. He's already shown signs of that. Um, so, you know, the fact that you have him is a good start. I like Frank Nilakina. I think Dennis Smith might end up being better than him, but uh, I, I've liked the comps of, of Nilakina to George Hill from what I've seen of him, which is admittedly limited. Uh, but if he becomes a George Hill type player, that's a win as the eighth pick for sure. Um, so I don't, that's nothing to sneeze at. So he would be a nice piece. Uh, and then, and the Knicks have all their picks. So yes, their cap situation is terrible now that they made some pretty rough signings. Uh, but they have a chance to, um, really turn this team into, uh, into one built around young players over the next few years. If they just keep their first round picks and just allow themselves to build that way, uh, even if their cap situation is, is not great that will still allow them to, you know, kind of build the the foundation of young players this team has really needed to do for over a decade now. So, you know, we'll see if they could be patient, but um, certainly there's reasons for optimism, at least from a base level, uh, as long as the Knicks don't, you know, continue to get in their own way. Um, does D'Angelo Russell make the all-star team next year? What would it take? Uh, I can't really see that, even in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, let's see Russell take a step forward, become kind of the hub of the Nets offense. Like I think they would hope for him to, uh, you know, let's see him do that kind of a stuff before we, you know, we start assuming that he can make an all-star team. I mean, I'm not even a hundred percent convinced, you know, Zach Lowe wrote a really nice article about the Nets yesterday. I think, uh, you know, I've written about them recently. I'm not even a hundred percent convinced that D'Angelo Russell will start for the Nets. Uh, I think he will personally, but you know, like I said before, they have a lot of good young guards. So he, he might end up having a fight for a starting starting job there. So, you know, my guess is that, uh, you know, that'll probably be an iffy proposition. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens with Russell in, in Brooklyn. But I, I would not be uh, banking on an all-star appearance this year. Uh, how likely is it for Carmelo Anthony to not be traded this season? I think pretty likely. It's going to be hard to trade Carmelo. Uh, for as much as he might want to leave, he's got, a, he's got a giant contract. He's got a no-trade clause. And he only wants to waive it to go to certain places. So... I mean, if he opens up his no-trade clause to go to, you know, teams like Portland or other teams that might be interested in making a run of him, then yeah, I think he'd get traded, but I don't see him doing that anytime soon. And until he does, I think he's going to stick around. Um, if a player is coming off his age 24 season and just finished 15th in real plus minus at his position, would you expect him to get a max or near max deal? Uh, this, is a, this is a question that refers to the contract that Tim Hardaway got. Uh, and was a way of, of trying to defend the Hardaway contract as not being that bad. I thought it was very terrible. Um, generally, you know a deal is bad when you know there's virtual uh, unanimity about the way it played out. Uh, this is a similar situation to last summer when the Knicks signed Joakim Noah to a four-year, $72 million contract. When I reported that a couple days before free agency started, he was going to sign that deal. People started freaking out. They couldn't believe the numbers were accurate. There was no way that was true. Turned out to be true, and the numbers were what they were, and Joakim was what he was, which is a broken-down older player. Uh, at least Tim Hardaway Jr. is a young, pretty durable player uh, who has a chance to you know, potentially improve some more. Uh, but that, you know, with that being said, 
you know, he still is a player that is at best, I think, a borderline starting shooting guard in the NBA. Um, you know, I don't, I, I don't really think he's a guy that he is that is going to turn into a, uh, you know, a, a high quality you know, starting shooting guard in the NBA. I think at best you're looking at a guy who's an average player. I mean, even last year, you know, in his, you know, kind of breakout season when he was a six man for most most of the year, um, you know, with the Hawks. He shot 45% from the field. He shot 35% from three. He had a couple assists a game, and he didn't play a lot of defense. So, uh, I mean, his defense has gotten better from earlier in his career, but it's still not great. So, you're talking about a guy who's an okay shooter and is not a very good defender and is not much of a creator. So, I mean, he's an okay player. Uh, it's not quite as bad as the Noah contract. It still, in my opinion, was the worst contract of the summer, especially because they could have just waited – uh, you know, if they'd waited one more day, Contavious Caldwell-Pope would have been a completely unrestricted free agent. They could have given him a one-year deal for $18 million, just like he got from the Lakers. And Or even if they signed him to that deal for four or five years, at least that's a guy who can really play defense. And then all of a sudden, you've got him and Nilakina, who could be a good defender, and you're building something. Uh, as opposed to Hardaway, who, again, I, I think he can be, you know, he could probably get to being an average shooting guard uh, in terms of starting quality, but I just don't. You know, to, to answer the initial question, in this market, he should not have gotten a near max deal, and so it's it's just a it's just a rough situation for the Knicks. And you know, they got their guy, they're happy with it, but you know, I, I think it's just another example of, of short term thinking and uh, something that's probably not going to work out for them in the long run. Uh, so then, I got a bunch of questions about the cap uh, and about you know various stuff moving forward. Uh, if Alan Crab deal, if the Alan Crab deal hadn't happened and the Nets had kept their cap space, what kind of calls would you have ha- hoped to get at the deadline if you were Sean Marks? This is a similar situation to the Tim Hardaway deal. Alan Crab is a decent player. Uh, I understand the rationale from the Nets' perspective that they are getting him for twelve million dollars a year. Um, however, they're not getting him for twelve million dollars a year, and that's because they traded the dead money of Andrew Nicholson to to get Crab who they initially signed in this offer sheet last year. And I thought at the time they dodged a huge bullet when Portland matched it. Uh, to not get a pickback in that deal, I thought was not very good for the Nets. Um, Portland saved $60 million this year in that trade. They needed to get, they needed to have to give up more assets to make it happen, in my opinion. Uh, to, because the price was you gave away a ton of cap space, both this year and beyond. And you know, the gain I don't think is going to be that great. You know, Alan Crabb, I think, is a similar player to Hardaway in that, you know, he's kind of a limited player. He's a terrific three-point shooter, but he doesn't really play defense. He's not a creator. He's not going to put the ball on the floor and do stuff for you. And so unless Kenny Atkinson can really develop his game out, which I think the Nets think he can do, um, you know, Kenny's one of the best development coaches in the league. So, you know, they have reason to be optimistic about that. I still didn't like the trade because the opportunity cost lost. I think you look at the Damari Carroll trade where they got a first and a second, um, for taking out two years of Damari Carroll's contract. I think they could have had at least another trade like that, uh, maybe more. And this is a team that needs to pick up assets. And if you look around the league, there are going to be a ton of teams looking to shed money, and the Nets could have really taken advantage of that. Um, after the first-round picks were signed in 2018 and barring any large contracts being stretched, how much free agent money is available in 2018? Those are a couple of big variables. But look, there's going to be even less money next year than there was this year, and there wasn't that much this year. You know, in the 2016 offseason – there was somewhere between nine hundred and a billion dollars in money spent uh, in twenty seventeen offseason. There are there was somewhere between nine hundred billion dollars in cap space last year. This year there was somewhere between three hundred and four hundred million dollars. Next year there's going to be below three hundred million dollars. Going to be somewhere close to two hundred million dollars, and a big chunk of that 
is going to be with a couple teams, specifically the Los Angeles Lakers. So um, there's not going to be a lot of money to go around, and you're going to see more and more guys getting squeezed. Um, that you know, and that's the that's the impact of the spike in the cap last summer because of the new TV deal. And that's something that's going to be felt for a while until this cycle of contracts runs out. So um, that were signed last year. So, you know, there, there's going to continue to be guys that are hurt by uh, the way the market has played out over the last couple of years. And, and that's not changing anytime soon. And definitely won't next summer. Um, what is the current model for an unmatchable offer sheet? I, I don't know if there's a model. I mean, the, the question referred to the Chandler Parsons deal with Dallas. I, it's always kind of a circumstance situation when you look at these restricted free agents. Um, you know, Tim Hardaway changed teams because the Knicks offered him way more money than they should have. And so the, the Hawks said, yeah, please take them. Uh, you know, but Otto Porter signed a max deal and, and got capped. So, you know, I, I think largely it just comes down to, um, you know, you look at, you look at each situation and if, if a team, you know, really overpays for a guy, um, and it bets that the guy is going to be good. Uh, then, you know, if the team walks away from him, then, then it's, you know, it, it usually it works out where one team severely overvalues another player compared to what a overvalues a player compared to what their original team valued him at. And then it becomes a bet on whether that team is right or not. And that's exactly where the Knicks are with Tim Hardaway. If he somehow becomes a borderline all-star, that's going to be a great deal for them. And they're going to, they're going to have a building block for the future. And if he doesn't, it's going to be a bad deal. And there's really not an in-between. Which is most likely in regards to Nerlens Noel? Accepting a max offer, taking the qualifying offer, signing from 14 to 16 million a year, signing from somewhere between 17 and 21 million a year. Uh, I would say the, the, the max offer is the least likely. Qualifying offer is next least likely, so fourth and third on the list. Uh, he's not getting a max. He doesn't have the leverage. All these guys who are still hanging out there, Mason Plumley and Nikola Miritich, fall into the same category. They all want some leverage. They don't have any. So... Uh, I don't think he's going to get a max. I guess there's a chance he takes the qualifying offer, but I really don't see that. Nerlens has had a bunch of injuries. Um, I think if he gets, you know, a decent, you know, eight-figure offer for four years, he's going to take it. Um, if I had to guess, because he doesn't have a lot of leverage, I, I think he's going to wind up taking uh, a deal in the 14 to 16 range. I could see something like, you know, four for 56 or, you know, five for 80. Um, somewhere in that kind of range, you know, four for five for five for, I guess it'd be five for 70 or five for 80, somewhere in that range. I, I think the 14 to 16 range makes sense. Um, maybe the, the, you know, I, I think at some point he'll have to come back to the table and realize that, you no, know, it's a lot of money for a guy that's had a bunch of injuries. And, you know, I think that kind of a deal makes sense. So uh, I think he'll eventually get a long-term deal done in Dallas and be there for a long time. But uh, you know, the Mavs want to keep him and, and they want him to be their starting center. But you no, know, it's it. That's the problem with restricted free agency is that there just isn't a lot of leverage for the uh, the for the for the incumbent team to, to make a move until the, you know, the, the player will come back to them. So, you know, my guess is that, uh, you know, a deal eventually happens sometime before the season and it's in that uh, 14 to 16 range. Uh, generally, so then there are a bunch of questions just about random stuff around the league. Uh, who will have the worst record in the NBA se next season? I, I talked about this earlier. I think it's going to be the Hawks. Uh, you know, Travis Schlenk, good guy, got the Hawks job. I'm excited for him. And uh, I think he's done a good job this summer. Uh, but I also think that um, they're just, you know, he's torn that team down to go into the draft. And, you know, they're trying to get Michael Porter and whoever else is going to be, Luka Doncic, whoever else will be at the top of the draft next year. And, uh, 
you know, there, there's little doubt they're going to be in the running for that worst pick or for worst worst record in the league because they're going to stink. So that's my pick. Uh, who makes it to the playoffs in both the East and West? Uh, I'll have a comment on that later this offseason. I'm still trying to figure it out. Um, I, I think there's a clear five teams in each conference. Uh, in the West, you've got Golden State, Houston, San Antonio, Oklahoma City, and Minnesota that are going to make the playoffs. Uh, in the East, you've got um, you've got the, the Cavaliers, the Celtics, the Wizards, the Raptors, and the Bucks in some order that will make the playoffs. And then you've got kind of a morass of teams after that. Uh, in the East, I think it's pretty clearly, you know, if they're healthy, likely going to be Miami, Detroit, and Charlotte as the other teams. Though, you know, I think that the, the Sixers could get in the mix. There may be some other teams, uh, you know, and who knows if any of those three teams will regress to the mean a little bit. Um, in the West, there's six or seven teams that are in that in that fight for six to eight. So that that's probably going to be the most fascinating thing for, I think, hardcore basketball fans to watch this season is that battle from six to 11 in the West because uh, there's a lot of different teams in there and a lot that can happen. Um, but it, that's going to be really fun to watch play out. Uh, Will we ever see a championship team built around low post play again? Uh, I think it's possible. I mean, if a guy like Shaq came into the NBA now, a team would be built around him. Uh, you know, I, I just, I don't know if we'll see another Shaq again. I mean, he's just such a unique player. Um, you know, when you look at the the bigs now, a lot of them are built to be, you know, kind of spacing the floor and shooting the three guys like Chris Esporzingis and Carl Towns, you know, guys that can really do everything. Um, you know, but if, if a team like the Timberwolves eventually win a championship with, uh, with Carl Towns on their roster, I, I think, you know, I, I, it certainly could be a team you could argue is built around the low post if he becomes a low post monster. Um, but yeah, so I, I do think that we'll see, uh, championship teams built around centers again in the future. Um, why don't more teams utilize the high post with big men who can shoot and pass or even tall threes like KD? There seems to be an opportunity. Uh, a lot of guys like to work out of the high post. Uh, but the reason the teams don't, you know, kind of make that the fulcrum of their offense anymore is because of the value of shooting the three. Um, and, and the fact that those, uh, those, those shots, the, the shots from the high post, the mid range shots are very inefficient shots uh, compared to layups and threes. And so that, uh, you know, that, that makes it tough to build an offense around. I mean, you look at teams like San Antonio, they have a lot of, you know, mid range shots and, and, you know, they're a team that's really, you know, kind of prided itself on, on getting some of those looks that, that teams will give up. I think by going and getting Chris Paul, the Rockets have, you know, the team that's really, you know, pushed towards the, the, the extremes as much as anybody in the league. I think they even realize that having some, uh, having some balance there can really be um, beneficial in the playoffs. So uh, I just think, you know, the fact that you, those shots are so inefficient though, I think makes it difficult um, for teams to really build a complete offense around the high post, like say those Kings teams back in the early 2000s with Vlade Divac and uh, Chris Weber operating out of the high post a lot of the time. Uh, what status must a player occupy for you to consider him a true superstar, top five player in the league, top 10, or do you approach it differently? Uh, I think the, the, the whole superstar thing uh, is a little complicated. Um, I think you can make a pretty good case that guys like Carmelo Anthony and Chris Paul are, are not Chris Paul. Carmelo Anthony and Kyrie Irving are superstars. Uh, they're guys that have huge profiles, uh, sell shoes, sell gear um, on billboards everywhere. Everybody knows who they are. Um, I, I think those guys are superstars in one sense. Um, but on the basketball court, you know, they're guys that are a little overrated in terms of their actual impact on winning. Whereas a guy like Kawhi Leonard is unquestionably a superstar in talent, 
but the average fan, you know, probably doesn't know him more before Carmelo Anthony because he's a pretty quiet guy who isn't in commercials and doesn't do that kind of stuff. So I think there's different ways to look at it. I mean, there are guys who are superstars because of their profile. They're superstars because of their, their ability on the court. And then there's superstars who are both, you know, like the guy who's both, you know, like LeBron James, the obvious example of a guy who's both. Uh, then you've got, you know, Carmelo, who's the, the brand guy. You've got Kawhi, who's the, the play guy, the player uh, at that caliber. And those are all in one position. So I think it all depends. Um, but, but there's little doubt that, you know, there, there, are, there are a few of them in the league and, and not a ton. And, and however you come up with the calculus, it's still going to be, you know, no bigger than 10 or 15 guys that fit into that category. Will we see analytics for individual defensive players evolve to the point where they're reliable they are not right now. They are noisy numbers. I think so. I mean, I think you've already seen gains uh, in, in this area over time. Um, I, I think that that's just going to continue uh, as we get better at tracking players. We get better at understanding the, the science of the game and using the, the statistics people have figured out. Um, you know, so I, I think that will get better over time. Uh, I think you've already seen it get better the last few years. So um, so yeah, I, I definitely think it can it can go in the right direction and get a lot better. Which currently bad team would you buy stock in right now for a big payout in the next five years? I would personally say uh, that you have to pick uh, the 76ers. If you got to pick one bad team, they have so much young talent uh, that I, I think the chances of them you know taking a big jump are, are pretty likely if they can stay healthy. And the other one, obviously, the, the two of them are the the Lakers uh, and the and the Sixers. The, the the Sixers because of what they have, and the Lakers because of what they can be. Uh, not only do they have Lonzo Ball, but they also they also have a chance to get LeBron James next summer, uh, or Russell Westbrook or Paul George, and that obviously would give them a chance to take another jump in terms of their status in the league. So I, I think that those are uh, I, I think those are are two teams that you have to look at, one in each conference that that fit that bill. Um, which team is last year's Minnesota from a prediction standpoint? Please don't jinx the Pelicans. Uh, that's referring to what I said at the top about my prediction on uh, my prediction on the the Timberwolves winning 50 games, falling short. Uh, I think that team this year is going to be Minnesota or not Minnesota. It's going to be the, the Sixers, like I was just saying. I think with Joel Embiid, with Ben Simmons, with Marco Fultz, you're going to see a lot of people um, jump on the Sixers bandwagon and, and think they're going to win a ton of games this year. I just think they're a year away. Uh, Fultz and Simmons are going to need time to adjust the NBA. And look, I've got to see Joel Embiid play 70-plus games before I can assume this team is going to be good. I mean, yeah, he was incredible last year. He also played 31 games and played 700 minutes or less than that. So I think that makes it tough to really bank on um, really bank on Philly as being that kind of a – taking that kind of a jump this year. But if there is a team that's got the potential to it is – it is Minnesota. Um, who's a player three-plus years into their career you see having upper potential from where they currently sit? I mean, there's a lot of guys that fit into that category. And uh, I, I put this question here because um, it kind of flows into the next section. was all about Giannis Antetokounmpo. I, I think that if you're going to pick one guy you know, who's three or four years into his career who's going to really take a leap, it's that guy. I mean, I, I, think, um, you know, I think he's got a chance to be the MVP of the league this year. Um, if I was going to bet on one guy moving forward to really take an explosive leap forward, I think it's him. And um, it's going to be really fun to see what he looks like this season because I think he's got a chance to just have a monster, monster season uh, for the Milwaukee Bucks. So, uh, and that, that leads into the next section. Uh, first question is funny. How long until Giannis dunks from the top of the key? 
seems like it could happen any day. The guy is like Inspector Gadget. His arms go as long as you could possibly believe. Uh, he's got incredibly long strides. It, it, he just does stuff every game that makes your jaw drop. So uh, I definitely think it's possible. If, if anybody can possibly do it, uh, it is that guy. What other superstar would you most enjoy being paired with Giannis? I would say Kawhi, just because if you can imagine having those two guys on the wing uh, or playing the three and four spots, I mean, you can, can you imagine trying to trying to play against a team with Kawhi and Giannis uh, with their, you know, they basically could, you know, stand on each sideline and stretch their hands out and touch touch their hands in the middle of the court. Uh, I mean, it would just be it would be pretty unbelievable to watch. You know, as good as they've been with Chris Middleton, you know, paired with Giannis, um, you know, it's imagine how good they'd be with Kawhi. So that. That's the guy that I would uh, that I would um, I would pick if I was going to pick somebody. Uh, and in three years, Giannis will be a top blank player in the NBA. I think you can make a really good case that three years from now he's going to be the best player in the NBA. I do my top 100 every year. I'm going to do another one uh, either next month. It's going to be sometime in the next couple months. I've just started putting it together now. And uh, last year, Giannis was 25th in the NBA, which I thought was pretty aggressive, given he hadn't made an All Star team yet. And he exceeded that. I think he's pretty clearly in the top 10 now. Um, he doesn't even turn 23 until uh, December. So you're talking about a guy that three years from now is going to be 25 years old. I mean, that, that's a guy that, you know, has a chance to be just a, an insanely good player. And, and I, I think that, that you could see him at 25 entering his prime uh, in the summer of 2020. Uh, he'll probably play in the Olympics for Greece. Uh, I could see him as being... You know, kind of, you know, if, if you know, maybe the guy to finally take the throne from LeBron, who at that point would be 35, uh, you know, 10 years older than him. You know, that, that might finally be the time to see somebody else take the stage. And it, it might be, my, Giannis might be perfectly situated to, uh, to be that guy. All right. Now I got a bunch of questions about the Warriors. Uh, why is nobody writing about the world impact on basketball because of Stephen Curry? I stopped watching the NBA because of dunks and no skill. Um, I don't know. I guess you're saying that you like the basketball now more because of Steph Curry. Uh, I think plenty of people have written that. If you go to any court or any game, uh, you see a million Steph Curry jerseys. You see anytime you go watch 10-year-olds play, what are they all trying to do? Bomb away from 30 feet or 35 feet. Um, I, I think you've seen Steph make three-pointers cool. And I, I think that's something that is not going to change anytime soon. And, you know, as, as young players, you know, kind of develop his, his skill set, I think he's going to deserve a lot of credit if the game continues to shift the way it has because he's made – he's really made the three-point shot a glamour shot the way that Michael Jordan and Julius Irving and Dominique Wilkins made the dunk a, a glamour shot. So, you know, we'll, we'll see where it develops from here. But I, I certainly think a lot of people are talking about that. What do you see as the floor and ceiling for Warriors regular season wins next season? Uh – Probably the floor of low 60s, 62, and a high of you know 74. You know, I think that's probably the range. You know, I, I, Golden State should be ridiculous this season. Uh, I don't think they're going to push to win 74 games uh, and break their own record, though I think they could if they wanted to. Um, you know, I, I think they'll sit guys occasionally. And last year they basically coasted to 67 wins. I think they'll probably be better this year. So I'll have everybody there. Uh, you know, together for a year, and they, they basically improved on every spot on the roster. Um, but my guess is they take their foot off the off the gas. And if I had to pick a number for them, I'd probably say somewhere around sixty-seven again. But uh, but I, I think if you had to, if you know, I think if you're setting a high and a low, it's you know about sixty-two and and in a high of you know seventy-four and and setting a new record.
Give a starting five from the East that can challenge the Warriors. Uh, I always think these questions are dumb because if you could pick an all-star team, then yes, they could beat the Warriors. I mean, look, in the Eastern Conference, you have Kyrie Irving and LeBron James and Giannis Antetokounmpo and John Wall and uh, Kyle Lowry and Carmelo Anthony. And you, know, you can go down the list. There's a ton of great players in the Eastern Conference. I mean, if you wanted to go, if you wanted to have a team of John Wall, Bradley Beal, Giannis, uh, LeBron, and I don't know, pick another wing. I don't know. Um, you could even have you could potentially you could have Kyrie maybe play next to John Wall uh, if you wanted to. I mean, you that team's got a chance to beat Golden State. I mean, the Cavs have a chance to beat Golden State now with role players there. So yes, if you have Giannis and LeBron on the same team, you'd have a chance to beat the Warriors. So I always think those questions are pretty silly. Uh, and then that, I, I, as you might expect, I got a lot of questions about the Cavs and, and Kyrie. Um, next off season, does Dan Gilbert offer LeBron James a five-year max or bust, commit long-term or leave? What does LeBron do? Uh, Dan Gilbert's not going to make any ultimatums to LeBron James because you don't make ultimatums to LeBron James. He runs the Cavs and he runs the league. So the Cavs will say, LeBron, we'd love for you to come back. Tell us if you want to or for how long. And LeBron will decide what he wants to do. Um, I don't think it's a fait accompli that he leaves like a lot of people do. I think it's very possible, but I wouldn't guarantee it. Um, I think that, uh, to me, the, the basis of LeBron's decision is going to be very simple, just like it was in 2010, just like it was in 2014. What's going to be the best place for him to win games? If he decides next year that's Cleveland, he'll stay. If he decides it's not, he'll leave. I, I don't think any of the other stuff matters. LeBron wants more titles. He's not going to go to some team that isn't ready to compete for championships just because it's in another city. I, I don't believe that. So uh, I think if you're looking at what LeBron's going to do, I think that's how you you determine you know how that is going to play out. At least in my opinion, it's it's that's the um, that's how that decision should be should be studied and, and how it'll how it'll go down. Um, if Kyrie goes to Phoenix, uh, they they with the assumption that that's the only team that could trade for him. I dis, I disagree with that. But if Kyrie goes to Phoenix or somewhere else, is there a lineup in the East that can beat the Hamptons five? Uh, no, uh, the Cavs are the only team that can potentially beat the Warriors. Now, uh, if he leaves the Celtics would need to add some kind of a, a star player during the season to maybe give themselves a chance, but they, they would get run off the court by the, by the Warriors now, if, if they're healthy. I mean, look, if, if the Warriors have an injury, all of a sudden that could change. I mean, look, last year I was at the game in Washington, you know, when Kevin Durant had his leg fallen into by Zaza Pachulia and he got tossed to the ground and. You know, his season could have been over if his if Zaza's head hit him just a little bit differently. So if some freak play like that happens and the Warriors are down one of their superstars, yeah, they're going to have a chance to lose. They, they'll they be in the same position they were two years ago in a, in a dogfight with a team like the Cavs if they're healthy. So, um, you know, it'll be fascinating to see how it plays out. But, you know, I, I don't think you should just assume the Warriors are going to have injury health or, uh, uh, you know, good injury luck again and win. Uh, and, and I think that thinking anybody else – uh, can really take Cleveland's place or will take Cleveland's place as long as LeBron is at his peak is is silly. You know, I, I don't I don't think that's going to change either. Is it defensible to call Kyrie a top five scorer in the league, just scoring nothing else? Who's your top five? I, I mean, it, it's kind of subjective because it depends on what you determine by scoring. But look, Kyrie is a flat-out scorer and a lethal one. I mean, you look at what he did in the finals a couple years ago, uh, team with LeBron, uh, to, to go for more than 80 points multiple times, hitting that dagger shot. I mean, he he can he's got great handles. He can get to the rim. He's a ridiculous uh, layup maker. Can make crazy layups. Can hit crazy shots. Um, you know, can get you a shot at any point. Great shooter from three. 
Uh, he, he's a terrific scorer. There's no question. And, and he, you know, he has other deficiencies in his game. There's a little doubt about that. Uh, but he is a terrific, terrific player, uh, particularly with the ball in his hands, um, where he can go to work and, and create shots. If Kyrie is traded from Cleveland and Hayward excels in Boston, how do you see the balance of power shifting potentially in the East? I, I don't, uh, not until LeBron leaves. I think that, uh, if you look at, um, if you look at Kyrie Irving, uh, whether he stays or not, uh, it, it's still LeBron James in the East. Uh, and, and Gordon Hayward is a good player who I think is going to help Boston a lot. And I, I forgot about him and my five players in the East list earlier. If you put him, you can put him in the back row with LeBron, front row with LeBron and Giannis and be just fine playing against the Warriors. Um, but I, I think losing Avery Bradley is going to hurt and, and Boston still is not that close to Cleveland for me. So, uh, so yes, I, I think that the, the balance of power will shift in the East if, and when LeBron either falls off a cliff or leaves Cleveland. And at least for this season, neither of those things I don't think will happen. Why are the Bucks not moving all draft picks they can to land Kyrie? And does Kyrie, does Kyrie's list make him unobtainable for any team not on it? I don't know about the second part. I mean, look, I think if a team wants to take a chance on Kyrie Irving and get him into their system and and and, and play with him and, and get him to stay there, I, I think they'll they'll probably take the risk. Um, I think when you look at the Bucks, I don't think that a trade like that makes a ton of sense for them. Uh, I just don't know if they can find the pieces to really make a deal work uh, that 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 fits with what they're trying to do. I mean, Kyrie would be a heck of a one-two punch with Giannis, but. Um, I just don't know if, if I like that roster construction, uh, which is you'd have to give up guys like Middleton or maybe Jabari Parker, Chris Middleton, Jabari Parker to get that kind of a deal done. I just don't know if that, you know, the combination of trading assets and picks and, and then getting Kyrie, you know, I don't know if that makes them that much better. Also, you know, the, the Cavs don't want a ton of picks. I mean, they want guys who can have to win now. I mean, that's what makes trading Kyrie so difficult for Cleveland is that they're trying to win right now, not make a typical superstar trade where you're getting picks down the road that can help you later. Uh, they need to trade a really good player now to still win now. And that, that's what makes trying to trade him a difficult proposition for uh, the Cavs and their new GM, Kobe Altman. After such a crazy offseason with Melo and Kyrie probably still to get traded, do you expect a rather quiet or busy trade deadline? I don't think they're going to get traded. So that storyline for both of them is going to hang over us throughout the season. Um, I think we'll get a pretty busy trade deadline. Uh, teams are going to be looking to shed money. Um, teams are going to be probably looking to shake things up. You're going to have teams trying to make the playoffs in both conferences. I think we'll see a lot of stuff happen this year. Um, probably going to see a lot of coaches get fired just because, you know, either none. Yeah, I don't think any got fired at all last season. Uh, it's the first time this hasn't happened. In, I think that was the first time that happened in like 50 years when there were, since there were seven or eight teams in the league. Uh, so I, I don't think that'll happen again. So I, I think we're going to be in for a pretty, um, a pretty crazy, a pretty crazy few months here uh, in the NBA, and, and it should be a fascinating season on a lot of levels, and that includes the the trade and you know hiring and firing market. Um, that got me into. Now we're going to go into a, a, an interesting little section I didn't necessarily expect when I asked for questions was uh, a bunch about Andrew Wiggins, um, the 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 good young player for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, which is more likely, Kyrie Irving getting traded or Andrew Wiggins getting the max? Uh, to me, this is very simple. Andrew Wiggins getting the max. I think he will get the max from the Wolves. Owner Glenn Taylor recently said he's going to get the max. Uh, Andrew said he'd like the max. Uh, I think that pretty much lines up for him getting the max. Uh, you know, By trading Zach Levine, the, the Wolves can give out two designated player, five-year extensions. I think that Andrew will get one. Carl Towns will get the other. I think that would be pretty simple. So 
Um, my guess is that Wiggins will get a max deal from the Wolves probably before the August extension deadline. Or August, excuse me. I meant the October extension deadline. Uh, do you give Wiggins the max after Minnesota? Uh, that kind of flows in with the next question. I, I probably would. Uh, you're a franchise that needs to establish itself. He, he is a good young player. If you, um, you know, if you have him, and uh, if you have him, and you have uh, Carl Towns, those, those two guys locked up, you know, through, you know, I guess at that point that would be what 2023 and 2024 when they sign their deals. Uh, that gives you a long window to be competitive. Uh, and, and you you hope that with Tom Thibodeau there, with Jimmy Butler there, that you can allow Wiggins to keep growing and become an even better player who really maximizes his physical gifts. So uh, I, I could certainly understand why you would um, I could certainly understand why you would uh, why you would do that if you were Minnesota. Um, is Andrew Wiggins the next Paul George or the next Rudy Gay? And this is where Wiggins is fascinating to me. Um, I think he's going to be one of the most uh, compelling players in the league to watch this year because Minnesota should be really good. And there have been a lot of people who have had a lot of questions about Wiggins for a while now, um, whether he's quite as good as uh, what he's made out to be. Uh, and, and I do think that he could become, uh, you know, this generation's version of Rudy Gay in terms of basketball years, um, basketball generations. Uh, a guy that a lot of people look at and, and don't think his physical gifts matches on court uh, impact on the team. Uh, Wiggins also has a ton of talent and could grow into a Jimmy Butler or Paul George type wing. That's one of the 10 or 15 best players in the league. So, uh, I think that, that question, I don't know the answer really right now. Um, I, I think that how that question get answered gets answered is going to be really one of the most compelling, uh, things to watch, uh, in the league over the next few seasons, especially because Minnesota looks like they're going to be a team that's going to be in the mix. And, uh, and, and Wiggins' uh, development is going to be a big factor in, in how much in the mix that team really is. Uh, got some random questions. Uh, do you play fantasy hoops? And if so, how many leagues and formats? I've played a little bit. I've never found a league that really makes a ton of sense um, for me. Uh, I, I would like to try to do a salary cap league this year. Uh, some friends and I have discussed it. Um, I would hope that uh, uh, hope we can come up with a way to do that. Um, I think that's a fun, a fun league. It kind of, you know, leans into my, I've done them before with some, with some NBA writers and people and it kind of leans into my, uh, you know, my, my, my interest level in the league and uh, how I get kind of uh, zeroed in on, on, on the league and how it shakes out. So that would, that would be fun, but um, yeah, just for whatever reason, fantasy hoops hasn't caught on the way say fantasy football or baseball has. And, Hopefully it changes as a hoops fan. I'd like that to change in the future, but to this point it hasn't really. But uh, I guess I'll have to report back if I do officially start the uh, the salary cap league. What arena has the best food, and what are the favorite NBA cities to travel to in each division, or just the top three or five cities to travel to, period? Uh, I'm going to refer to my pals over at TBA, uh, Brian Winhurst and Kevin Arnovitz, who did a couple of pods on this this week. Uh, you should go listen to those. Those guys are great. Not only my friends, but they do great pods. And I, I really enjoyed those pods. You should check them out. And they, they're way more in tune on all that stuff than I am. So I would defer to their judgment on uh, where you should go and what you should eat in terms of being both a reporter and just a, an NBA fan. Offensive players diving into defenders and getting the foul call. Can that be dealt with? I wrote a giant uh, feature during the playoffs about the proliferation of three-shot fouls in the NBA. Um, and I, I think that, uh, I think that the NBA is going to do something about that. I was told last month that 
That's going to be something that's addressed at the competition committee meetings in September. I believe the officials will be given some kind of a point of emphasis on trying to prevent them from being called. Uh, I do think they'll be curtailed this year, but it will be uh, be very interesting to see um, see how that plays out and, and how it shakes out because there's there's no question that the NBA was not overly thrilled with the way all that played out. And uh, um, as as season played on, you had a lot of guys you know just flailing around getting calls and. Uh, made the officials look bad. It made the league look bad, and and I, I'd be very surprised if that doesn't change at least in some form uh, before next season. And then uh, final section here, I got a bunch of random questions about uh, individual teams that I'm going to try to touch on here all at once. Um, Avery Bradley's a nice player, but what are the Pistons doing? What track are they on? It feels like they're kind of in no man's land. I wrote about the Pistons in my my wrap up of summer league. Uh, you should go back and check that out. Um, I'll put a link to it in the, in the story on our, uh, on the, on the post putting up the front, putting up the podcast, but, um, uh, the Pistons just decided they didn't want to pay Avery Bradley a max contract. They looked at him as an average starting shooting guard and they didn't want to tie themselves into a team that, you know, just won 35 games and had two guys making max deals and, and, uh, Contavious Caldwell Pope and, and Andre Drummond. And I, I think, you know, they, they clearly, you know, kind of operated under that, belief from the beginning of this offseason on you can question whether that was the right way to go or not but that that's the way they believed they that's the way they operated and that's how they believed it so um you know to me this is going to be a huge year for Detroit you know can Andre Drummond prove he is a uh an all-star center again uh can guys like Stanley Johnson take a huge step forward can Reggie Jackson get back to where he was two years ago I mean if Reggie and Andre get back to where they were two years ago the Pistons have a chance to be you know a very good team could maybe even be better than a team like Toronto uh, if they can't, they might struggle to make the playoffs, and you can see giant changes in Detroit. So uh, the Pistons are really at a crossroads, and this is a pivotal year for them. And uh, you know that that move this summer, you know, swapping out KCP for Bradley is uh, you know going to be a big fulcrum point for where this franchise goes from here. Uh, Orlando fan here who isn't my pal Kevin Clark, uh, surprisingly, uh, don't really know any other Magic fans. We seem to have no niche. Was Frank Vogel the wrong choice? Should we overhaul the staff or players? Uh, I would just say that the Magic don't have much talent. Uh, Frank Vogel's a great coach. I don't think that's an issue. They just they have to get talent, and I, I think you're going to see you know with John Hammond and Jeff Weltman there, uh, very res- well respected front office tandem. I think you're going to see them draft well. They're going to bring in a bunch of long athletic players. That's what John has always done. I'm sure that'll be the case here, and uh, I, I think you'll see. Um, I think you'll really see them start to to get some talent, and and then then and then Frank will look like he's got. Uh, you know, the kind of talent to, to win games again. So uh, the, the, you, when you don't have a niche in the NBA, I'm using uh, hand quotes for niche, uh, it just means you don't have players, and they, they don't have players. So once they do have players, they're going to be a good team again, and a lot of this stuff will rectify itself. How good are the Hornets now in a weak Easter conference? Can LeBron James possibly end up in Charlotte? Uh, I didn't see if one of my, my good buddies, Dan Hill or Sean Bruitt, uh, asked this question. Uh, two big Hornets fans who live down in Charlotte went to college with. Uh, no, LeBron is not going to Charlotte. Uh, and I think the Hornets have a chance to be in that five to eight range uh, in the East. They should make the playoffs. They're trying to make the playoffs. Um, I, I really like the Dwight trade. Yes, Dwight can be a handful. Um, but I, I think getting off of Miles Plumey's money and getting a player that's still a good player, uh, and with a, especially working with a coach as Steve Clifford that knows Dwight uh, and is the right kind of guy to get a lot out of him, uh, I think that, that Charlotte's going to be a good team, a very solid team in the East. 
Um, and, and yeah, they probably can get into that six, seven, eight range, maybe even up to, up to fifth, um, and get back into playoffs and you know, maybe even win a series for the first time since coming back into the league, uh, I think back in 2004. Which is more probable next season? Joel Embiid playing more than 70 games or DeMarcus Cousins getting less than five techs? Easily Embiid. I don't think Embiid's playing 70 games, but LeBron ain't, or LeBron, DeMarcus ain't getting less than five techs. So uh, I, I think Joel is the easy bet there. Um, could you see the Spurs falling out of the top four in the West, presumably, uh, next year? Seems like a terrible offseason. Spurs definitely had a weird offseason. Uh, going back to, um, to June, when Pau Gasol opted out of his contract for this season, a lot of people around the league started going, up. Oh, the Spurs are getting somebody. They, they're going to pull Matt Rabbit out of the hat again. They got Pau to opt out. They're going to get Chris Paul. They're going to get somebody. I thought that they really thought they were getting Chris Paul. Uh, I thought that then. I still think that now. And I think once Chris... Uh, committed to Houston, I think that screwed up their plans, and I think you you've kind of seen them bounce from thing to thing since then. I think they had an okay offseason. Uh, the one thing I didn't get really uh, of all the moves they made was giving Powell not only two guaranteed years but a partially guaranteed third year. I didn't that didn't make any sense to me. I don't know why they had to do that. I'm sure there was some kind of an arrangement when he opted out that if they didn't get a star, they'd bring him back. But I don't see why they couldn't have just given him straight two years uh, and and taken him. Uh, through the 2019 season, you know, when, you know, DeMar- I think Lamarcus Aldridge is going to opt into his contract next year. So then you have both those guys as expiring deals and they come off the books at the same time. You'd have a ton of money available. Um, I-, I thought that would make sense. So I, I don't really know why you, uh, um, I-, I don't, I don't know why you would set yourself up for a situation where uh, you would have, um, you know, you would have, you know, him on the books again for another six or seven million you know, I think at 39 at that point in that 2019-20 season, it's just very odd. Um, so I didn't really understand that at all. Uh, De'Aaron Fox will be a top blank point guard in three years. Uh, top 15, top 20. I like De'Aaron Fox a lot, but there's a ton of great point guards. Um, and and I think if you uh, if you look, it usually takes point guards four, five, six, seven years to really develop. I mean, look at a guy like John Wall. He's really hitting his stride now, and he's in his, I think, his seventh season. Just ended his seventh season. So, you know, I would say De'Aaron Fox is going to take at least a couple of years to start to get his, you know, his sea legs. So, I mean, yeah, I think if I think if he's ending his rookie contract looking like he's in the top half of the league among starting point guards, I think that's going to look really good for the Kings. And I, I like that pick a lot for them. I think De'Aaron Fox, is going to, I, you know, I don't want anybody to think I think he's going to be a terrible player. I do not. I think he's going to be very good. And, um even if he just becomes, say, Ricky Rubio as a, a guy who is a good passer and a good defender who doesn't really shoot the ball, um, I think his personality is exactly what the Kings needed. He, he's going to be the kind of face for that franchise that, that Sacramento desperately, desperately uh, needed there. So uh, I definitely think that that's going to work out pretty well for them. Uh, who would be the ideal ownership group to buy the Rockets? Uh, I don't know if there's such thing as an ideal ownership group. I would say good owners. Uh, you know, which is obviously uh, a kind of a, an amorphous answer. Um, you know, Leslie Alexander is one of the best owners in the league, uh, has been for a long time. It's why the Rockets have been one of the primarily consistently good franchises in the league. Uh, I would not be at all surprised if there's some kind of foreign investment here. Uh, I could definitely see uh, Chinese buyers potentially being interested in the Rockets. They're, they're a huge brand in China because of Yao Ming. Um, maybe Yao even is kind of is part of a ownership uh, group that wouldn't surprise me in the least. Uh, I think if you were gonna, if I was gonna bet money on one thing, I, I would say that the, the most likely outcome is that 
there is some group, you know, led by Yao Ming. Just as it's just a, like if I'm making a prediction, uh, you know, who knows? I mean, I mean, anybody could come out of the woodwork and buy a team. I mean, nobody would have thought that uh, um, that the, the you know the Nets are going to get bought by a Russian billionaire or uh, even like Tony Rensler, a wrestler buying the Atlanta Hawks a couple years ago. It's not like anybody knew who he was, you know outside of financial circles before that transaction happens. So it'll probably be somebody you haven't heard of. But if I was going to just off the top of my head, take a guess at like what, what the ideal outcome would be for Houston fans. I mean, probably some, you know, deep pocketed ownership group that's got, Yao as you know, part of the face of it, because then, you know, you'd see guys like Daryl Morey and, and the, the, if the infrastructure has been in place there, uh, that would tend to all probably stick around, which I think if you're, if you're a Rockets fan, you just want to see this this system, this what they have in place now, keep going forward, and that's going to be based around having, uh, you know, having that that leadership team stay in place and having a, a new ownership group that's familiar with them would certainly be a good step towards doing that. Uh, how good can the Sixers be this year? I touched on this earlier. I mean, look, if Joel Embiid plays seventy games or more, the the Sixers have a chance to um, to to win forty five games, maybe win fifty games. You know, it's possible, uh, you know, but I, I, there's so much, there's so many health questions with that team that, you know, it's going to take, it's going to, I think it's going to take a year for things to crystallize. Kind of like what happened in Minnesota, where you have a consolidation year, you, you start to make strides. And then in 2019, uh, 18, 19, then you see the things really take a leap forward. If Joel is healthy, Ben Simmons is adjusted to the league, Markel Fultz gets a year under his belt. Um, you know, I, I think to me, that's when, uh, that's when things will really, really start to change. Um, and I, I think if you try to do it now, it's going to be it's going to be a little more difficult uh, to try to make that kind of a massive leap uh, from one of the worst teams in the league to a playoff team. Uh, it just it just doesn't happen very often. As you saw with the Timberwolves, uh, you know it, it doesn't matter how much talent you have. It's a it's a difficult difficult proposition. Uh, say the Lakers add LeBron next season. What other supporting pieces would you like to see them add? Uh, I think they'll worry about the other sporting pieces if they can get LeBron. Uh, let's see them get LeBron first. If they, you know, if LeBron's going there, they're probably getting another superstar to go with them. So uh, whether it's Paul George or Russell Westbrook or somebody um, or both somehow, um, you know, I think you know if you see LeBron there, it's going to be because you know they got uh, they got some good pieces to go with them. Uh, is the Stepien rule necessary in today's NBA? This goes back to that Zach Lowe article where there was some talk that the NBA might restrict uh, pick swaps in the future. Uh, I do think that the Stepien rule is necessary. I, I think you want to try to prevent teams from completely hamstringing themselves, you know, especially in a league where the draft is so critical. We're having a chance to get a high pick is so critical. I mean, look at the Brooklyn Nets. If they hadn't, uh, if they hadn't traded, um, if they hadn't traded all of those draft picks. You know, if they just hadn't done the pick swaps, I mean, what if, um, you know, if they just had their 2017 pick and they had, uh, you know, that would have been their pick this year. They would have had Markel Fultz on their team, right? Um, if they hadn't done the pick swap this year. So, you know, like, how would you feel about the Nets right now if they just had that pick, just had this year's first round pick and could have Markel Fultz? I mean, yeah, you'd, you'd think the Nets are in great shape, right? I mean, that, that'd be right where they want to be. Uh, so any, you, everything else could even be the same. You could even have him and D'Angelo Russell on the team. I mean, you could have all the other stuff be the same if you wanted, uh, just with Markel Fultz. So um, I, I do think it's it's a necessary thing, and I wouldn't be surprised if the league tries to make some kind of a change. I don't know if they actually will, uh, but you know, it, it certainly would make some sense to me. Uh, and final question, 
why isn't the NBA MBPA's decision to not agree to cat smoothing more widely discussed? It's a huge issue of potential ramifications for leadership and agents. I think it's been discussed a lot, but all I'm going to say is that uh, I think you'll be able to read about it at some time here in the future, uh, and I'll leave it at that. But it is a you're right that it's a a giant issue, and you know the 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 cap and where it's going is something that's really going to be something to pay attention to over the next few years because um, it, it's a league where uh, it's a league where you have to look at. Um, you have to look at where the money is going and where the uh, you know where these things are are how these things are shaping up in terms of uh, what you know what teams are going to be able to do and what players will be able to get and you know that that decision and it, you know it's not just on the player side you know the player the, the you know the league you know but both sides didn't make that happen and um, you know now you're seeing it's having a lot of ripple effects as as is every decision that's made uh, you know every. Every decision has a lot of uh, every decision that's made in any walk of life has a lot of uh, ripple effects that you can't see at the time, and it takes a while to sort out. And uh, there's little doubt this is one of those situations. And um, you know, it's it's something that's going to be fascinating to watch develop. And, and like I said, you'll be able to read about it at some point here in the future. So, um, so now we're we're a solid you know about an hour in I think at this point. Um, Want to thank everybody for all the questions. They were great. Um, Got a ton of responses. I'm going to try to do one of these, you know, at least once every few weeks. Um, you know, it's just a fun way to kind of see where people's heads are at, and especially here in the, the kind of the dog days of the off season. Um, so thank you for that. Got a couple good pods lined up, I think, for next week. Um, I'm going to try to do a couple pods each week until I uh, take off for um, for vacation here at the end of August. And then, look, after Labor Day, I'll be back, and, uh, you know, the season will be a month away. I mean, it's just crazy how – the NBA season has has really dominated, you know, virtually the entire calendar now. Should get the, the schedule out sometime in the next couple of weeks. Uh, you know, it's just there's just always something. So it should be uh, should be a fun few weeks. So uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Tim Montemps. You can follow me on Facebook at Tim Montemps NBA. You can find my work uh, on the Washington Post website, uh, WashingtonPost.com, or on the or in the pages of the newspaper. Um, please subscribe to my newsletter. Uh, still coming out once a week, even during the, the dog days of summer. When there is a lot of basketball going on, I think it's going to be um, be a fun uh, fun thing for fans to follow along with. If a lot of people subscribed to it already, which I appreciate, but I'm trying to get more. Uh, to, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do so at wapo.st/postupnewsletter. That's wapo.st/postupnewsletter. Postup newsletter, all one word. Uh, so please subscribe to that. We'll be good stuff in there. Uh, throughout the year. Um, please find the podcast on iTunes and on Stitcher. Give us a five-star rating and review. Uh, that would be really appreciated. Um, thank you to Glenn Yoder and the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Uh, those guys are awesome. Go find their work online. Go buy their music. They're great. I've seen them in concert. Really good. Glenn's our digital editor at the paper. Uh, huge NBA fan. Huge Maz fan. I'm sure he'll be glad I talked about the neuro situation. Uh, but go, you know, go, go buy their music and check them out. Um, yeah, thanks again for listening. Thanks again for the questions. This is great. Like I said, I want to try to do this, you know, periodically. So I really appreciate all the feedback and, uh, look forward to doing it again. So, uh, thanks to all you for listening. Thanks to all you for your questions and enjoy your weekend. And we'll talk to y'all again soon.